Welcome to Yella Mensa, a podcast where we are looking to challenge the prevailing systems of justice in the context of our Christian faith. Yella Mensa is a ministry of Isibambano Center for Biblical Justice. I'm your host, Alfonso Malchas, and with me I have John Skierpers. John, how's things going? Hey, you know, Al, I mean, in the midst of lockdowns and more lockdowns and roundabout lockdowns, I mean, everything's fine and, you know, everything's not fine. It's just that that weird thing, mm. but... Um, but but other than that, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. And you? I'm I'm good. I'm same same year. Had some sad news last week of a friend yeah. passing away from from COVID. Yep. Um, lots of lots of issues, but I'm okay. After a deep breath, I'm fine. And and in, and in today we've um, um, gathering around the mic um, <laughs> to talk about another, which could be a potentially heavy subject. Eh? Yep. So um, just just in terms of my uh, my kind of thinking about it is that land in South Africa has taken on a mythical and mystical form since the beginning of time. An issue people have fought for, moved for, legislated about, and gone to prison for, and thinking about it, died for too. Mm. What interested me in the issues goes beyond the obvious history that involves black people losing their rights to own and purchase land after the famous 1913 Land Act was passed. And then the resultant forced removals that cleanse the cities of black people. The, the issue of belonging for black people um, has not really been addressed, I don't think. Um, and where we are still treated as aliens in our own countries and our own cities um, in many ways, but um, including our relationship with land and how that is shaped over time. And what I've what I've really found interesting in talking with our guests previously was the role um, of the church and what the role of the church has been in perpetuating this inequality that black people face in terms of land ownership. Um, so I, I had no idea until I read a, a thesis um, that um, churches own so much land across the country, more than 180,000 hectares. I mean, I tried to work it out in terms of football pitches, but it was a lot of football pitches, like 26,000 football pitches. The technical term is a um, clump, I think. It's a clump. It's a gamma for a gamma for a So, so I was I wondered on hearing all of this stuff about um, what are what are these churches using the land for, um, as well as whether this land can be used to start like a kind of a healing process in the country. Um, I'm convinced that as Christians we can prove to be an important example of how to build bridges across the divides, um, across this vastly unequal mm. society that we live in. Especially in terms of land, you know, land ownership, um, and how it relates to belonging, especially belonging of Black people in in this country. Today we continue the podcast, um, our podcast series, looking at how at injustice. And today I want to introduce um, our esteemed guest, um, Caroline Powell from the warehouse in in Cape Town, um, South Africa. I have to add as well. And Caroline, I have to say to you, no pressure, but embodied in you and your studies is the hope that all of these issues can be remedied and solved in our lifetime. Um, so no pressure, Caroline. <laughs> yes, welcome. And thank you for bringing us um, another story um, to, to hear about how injustice can be can be looked at. Ah, it's so wonderful to be with you and to be with Simbambano um, and Yola Mensa again. Mm. Yeah, it's good to have you once again. So, so Caroline, welcome. I mean, we are friends. We've known each other for years and you've known John for years, but... There are lots of people in the in the audience that 
don't necessarily know who you are. So if you can just give us a, a, a kind of rundown, um, your your CV or your praise or your history um, and your story around Cape Town and, and maybe you can include some of your faith journey as well, perhaps, just to give us a, a kind of intro into Caroline Powell. Yeah, how long have you got? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, I suppose, to to add to that, what what how does... And how does a, a white woman in South Africa land up um, being on being so privileged just to be able to speak into with this community um, mm. issues of land justice? And so I'll I'll take that as the departure point of saying that sometimes when I explain my my history in this land, um, I speak about um, the fact that I was born in 1976, so born in a storm, sure. um, and that I matriculated in. 1993 and voted for the first time in 19 on our first election. But I grew up in a whites-only community and neighborhood. It was actually a very isolated one. I lived in Camps Bay, which is also geographically very tucked away and hidden mm. from the rest of the city. So I describe it as having a, a growing up in, in somewhat of a bubble. I come from an English heritage, so that has its own particular dynamics. Um, oh, you know, yeah. uh, part of the pride of growing up as British white South Africans that we were told we were the good ones, <laughs> you yeah. know. So, so there was quite a lot of in that bubble was this this sense of of pride in in not being part of the problem. And so, coming out of that bubble, well, you'd think that I could have come out of that bubble, but I went straight to Stellenbosch University <laughs> 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 at the age of seventeen. So, um, I then entered a different bubble, but maybe yeah. that bubble also sort of perpetuated that myth of being the. And then, of course, it was the start of the Rainbow Nation, and so I went through my formative. And also my some of my faith formation years, um, both in, in these two bubbles. I also I had um, my, my older sister was very involved when she left the bubble. She didn't go to Stellenbosch, and she <laughs> she went to Rosebank or no, to to Mowbray, and she discovered um, what was happening in the struggle. And so she right. taught me a lot. She was much older than me, and she taught me a lot about what was happening in the struggle. So hmm. I had the the privilege of being conscientized a little bit as a young child. But then you know that didn't fit with what I was also learning in my youth group. And in my church, there was oh, just yeah. a lot of disconnects. And so lots of bubbles around that. Mm. And then um, and then when I finished university, I took some work in the UK and ended up staying there for nearly five years. So there was another bubble oh, wow. of, of sort of expat South Africans. Um, and that was really where I grappled with my faith a lot and and really faced down some truths about it. It really not my what I believed about the world and what I believed about um what the world should become in my naive way, it didn't fit with, with what I said, but I experienced this church culture. Right. But then I, I, I met a group of, of justice-seeking Christians actually in the UK and um, and had my, I would say, my, my true conversion to what the, the richness of my faith is sure. now. So returning from, from that third sort of space at the age in my late 20s, you know, at, um, I actually arrived back home in South Africa having to learn um, about my country and my sure. faith in my country wow. from scratch. And, and it actually was that journey that I, that I then realized what my body in the city, my body in the space of our city um, was. I started to, to, to try and move across boundaries and across different spaces in the city and was surprised at how hard it was to yeah. do. Um, and so I had to make quite a lot of intentional choices as to how I was going to live out my working life and my faith life, because I knew by that stage that I didn't want to stay <laughs> in these in these bubbles. So the rest of my faith journey from then until now 
has been about working that out and it's sure. been very much about the geography of our city, the divides of our city and, and how faith either perpetuates those or mediates mm. a breaking down of those sure. divides. Um, but I've had, you know, so many beautiful friendships and communities that have walked with that with me that is, has brought about the, the change from the naivety and the, the blindness and the ignorance of, of, of who I, I, how I grew up. Um, and it, yeah, it's just, it, it continues to be a really beautiful journey. Um, but one that I'm very much um, feel like I'm like in the early middle of. <laughs> it's really lovely to hear that kind of journey um, from bubble to bubble that most people in in South Africa, and if I could guess, most people in the world mm. move from bubble to bubble. Um, it's interesting how that actually opened it up for you, as opposed to like isolating you in a in a particular bubble. Today, we want to talk about one of those things. You know, like the the mm. one of those 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 kind of growing issues that I think you are grappling with, and you started grappling with. You did your masters in. Um, in spatial justice and 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 faith and faith communities or churches, why? Like <laughs> of all the things, that, I mean, mm. the fact that you did a master's in the first, but why that topic specifically? How did that come about? Where did it come from? Yeah, well, I think that um, I mean one of the one of the sort of maybe the end point of my personal journey was realizing once starting to leave these bubbles is that um, when I, I grew up with a majority majority. Um, <laughs> world's uh, identity I felt like I was in the majority yeah. that's how my 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 being into entered spaces and and um, and places and so the, the the shock and the and the and the joy of discovering that I'm a, I'm a minority in, right. in South Africa and in Africa and then asking why the people who of my people group own the majority of the land. Right. Um, that was just so. So the land question became incredibly important for me, but always felt way, way too out there in in terms of scope. Just, just like how on earth do we address this? As I was learning about this this notion of spatial justice, which is is I find very helpful. It, to me, it doesn't matter whether churches grasp. Or people grasp the, the 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 terminology or not, but yeah. I find it a really helpful one because it really means social justice in space and place. Mm-hmm. It's how does social justice work its way out in our streets and our neighborhoods and our places and our and and then therefore the land. And so I was learning about this notion from some um, urban theological studies I was doing, and also from becoming friends with an urban lands rights um, movement called Reclaim the City. I just just sort of attached myself to what they were doing and wanted to learn from them. As I was learning about this, the definitions and the realities of spatial injustice, um, then it was 2017, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa in his sort of early of his presidency announced land expropriation without yeah. compensation. And the, 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 the country just exploded into a land debate. Like right. I had never experienced South Africans speaking about land and churches, churches were hosting um, panels on it. I don't know if you remember that, but there was just a, a huge, you know, there was a, you know, we've got to talk about this. There was um, submissions made to the president's mm. panel on land from churches. Um, and so I just thought, well, this is, this is the link. Mm. If we can, if we can, as churches start to grapple with with land in a way that brings it into us very spaces and places, um, then it's not this out there thing that we can say theoretically we agree with 
land expropriation or not, mm-hmm. yeah. or blame the government for what they are or aren't doing. Mm-hmm. Actually, if we understand and especially understand urban land justice, right. um, because also we don't, we don't, when we're in cities, we don't think land, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we just think, you know, we, it's yeah. roads and buildings, but yeah. actually the, the very land we're on is, is, is land that was expropriated about compensation mm-hmm. in our cities as colonialism mm-hmm. happened. And so we're living on on stolen land as our cities and and sure. and what you described in the beginning. And so if we were to talk about land, but in terms of spatial justice as churches, I just felt, gosh, this has got to be something that could actually liberate us from mm. our sense of paralysis. And so maybe that's why I say, yes, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed your introduction when you said the sense of hope that it could be actually addressed in our, like, brought about a massive transformation change in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I went and I never intended to do a full master's per se, but the, 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 you know, the, the research process is such that you get more and more interested in, 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 in understanding other people's lived experiences on this. And so my particular thing was, um, so moving from land in general to urban land, and then from moving from urban land to spatial justice and, and, and all of those things. And then to say so many of the urban land justice movements that I follow either work, uh, are agitating for, for well-located land in the inner city right. or are doing very, very important work in informal settlement, upgrading out, like township spaces. But I just saw the whole suburban belt of the city just being left to our own devices. And so it was that particular interest in what does spatial justice for suburbs, um, sure. these very exclusive places that can kind of control their own destiny often. Yeah. Um, what does it mean for, for us in those spaces and for the thousands of churches in, this, in those suburbs? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I... And I wanted to understand the lived experience of churches in those suburbs mm-hmm. um, and how they, do they, do they understand their right. spatial histories? Right. And, and do they believe that they have a part to play in, in addressing spatial injustice? Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting thinking about it because um, we almost divorce the fact that we are individuals or we are churches. Mm-hmm. And the land debate has always really been around individuals whether it's farmers or people wanting yeah. land, et cetera, right. et cetera. But organizations that own land, like churches or companies. Um, or NGOs. Or NGOs, um, yeah. yeah, exactly, are almost yeah. almost left alone. We say, well, we won't, won't bother with them. We'll sort out the big issues, which is farmland or housing mm. or whatever. Mm. Interesting. So, And I was interested, as I said in the intro, I was interested to find out how much land the churches actually owned. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I don't know if many people, congregants, realize how much land their churches or their denomination actually owns. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of work done on this actually. So 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 I come into this conversation, sort of, I would say thirty or forty years into a very uh, a very robust church led conversation around mm-hmm. church owned land. There've been um, gatherings through the, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission had mm-hmm. a particular did, thing yeah. to say about it. The Rustenburg. Um, declaration um there was a um a, a full 
symposium in 1997 on, on church-owned land, and then there was an audit done of all the denominations who agreed to it. From all of these gatherings and these declarations, and then there was this the theologies of land that were developed, you know, black liberation theology, a huge amount on a theology of land, mm -hmm. a black liberation theology of land in South Africa and Africa. So there's all of this, and yet somehow this is happening in ecumenical spaces and in academic spaces and spaces like that, and it's not filtering down to the local congregation. And so when you speak about that, how much, how we know how much land the church owns, we don't know what the, the, the numbers I think that you're referring to are actually from that one initial audit that wow, was done yeah. in 1999. And that was just with churches that signed up for it. Okay. Um, and there's never been a full audit of, of what the, the cumulative um, land, especially from urban plots, mm. actually if you uh, yeah, if you think of that 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 uh, audit was only with about twelve denominations, yeah, and then if you add to that, since then, how many churches have bought up land, bought up houses around their their original mm -hmm. church plot, that type of thing? Um, you know, many churches in you know visit churches in Johannesburg, and they're they're on large small holdings in the city. So there's no yeah, so we have no idea. Yeah, and, and certainly since 1999, I think my experience has been a huge increase in larger churches like churches that are, are are very big with large parking areas with lots of property rather than lots of smaller churches i mean and maybe it adds up to the same thing but i was just thinking about just kind of the the size of the properties the and and how that measures in and so a lot of the new churches um what 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 i was kind of thinking about when i, I was i was having a look at some of your research is just also wondering is that and when you see that 1999 land audit uh, and you see that and you're saying, has the has our theologies changed? Has our practice changed since then? Um, and so it's very easy to look at sort of your older, and I think most of those were more kind of your traditional mainline denominational mainline, churches. Yeah. But then I was just wondering, I mean, we've had an probably even from before that, but certainly in, in the last 20 years, we've had an explosion of a lot of independent, charismatic, Pentecostal churches and just independent evangelical churches and all these kind of churches and probably others I'm not even thinking of. And I'm just, and I, so I just find myself saying, how does that factor in? Yeah. Some churches emptying out Yep. Mm. and other churches building That's up. That's true. What do you think is, is the church's role in terms of um, what, it, what the church's impact has been in, and participation has been in perpetuating um, spatial inequality in the cities, uh, in the suburbs, um, and do you do you think it's been there's been a, a, a significant role of churches in terms of perpetuating that, or at least what a church is doing to combat it, to change it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I've said, I think that there's a lot has been said on so the the declarations is is you will hear across the board um, almost a, conf a, state, a confession. Mm. Um, we oh. were part of the colonial project. But but I feel like that's often spoken about in terms of colonialism that so-called ended, right. as opposed to we are we continue to be part of a colonial awesome. project mm. of of city making and and of 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 even small town development because mm. if you look at the small towns of South Africa oh, yeah. they they mirror our cities okay. identically so so um, so I don't think that the confessions um, have been followed into repentance and, and repentance. So John, you were speaking about practice or theology. It's, it's what we call praxis. It's the, it's the, un, and, and I think praxis is, is strongly related to repentance because mm. it's, it's seeing 
naming, analyzing, being on top of your your what your physical presence in a place means for that place, right. um, and then continuously asking what what it how it is that your presence there is either perpetuating spatial inequality or injustice or or working to bring about spatial justice or equality. Mm. So um, so what what was your question was. Yes, churches are part of it. Churches are part of it historically, um, and there is so much that could be done to 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 really speak into and live into and act into radical restitution mm. just on historical injustice. Yes, um, what churches could do with their land and buildings and space and properties and solidarity, not just so not just. Uh, building different things on their properties, but actually learning from land rights movements. Right. So, so um, actually becoming um, properly in relationship with the with the land rights movements of our country, um, so that they would know what to do. Or even more simply speaking, just listening to the people in their congregations mm-hmm. or in their denominations who were either excluded or removed from the spaces sure. that they now worship in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's that. That's the historical story. But then the, the current and present story is 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 actually what does it mean to to ask for for now? Um, mm-hmm. What does this action mean for our neighborhood um, and for not just our neighborhood, but our neighborhood in relation to the other neighborhoods of the city. Um, yeah, so I think I think often it's a, it's a, we don't have spatial readings of our Bible. We don't we don't know how to read the the text in a in a socio spatial geopolitical way. <laughs> um, so we don't we don't have that necessarily. Um, we we don't we aren't reading and we aren't connecting with with um, theologies of, of, of liberation from, from land injustice, and we're not following those stories through the whole biblical text either. And then we don't know, we not necessarily don't, we don't know our neighborhoods, or we, we don't see ourselves as, as um, members of the streets that we, that we worship on. And then so, and then we have a, um, we struggle with social analysis as churches, um, really naming the, the, the forces that are dealing death to the people in our city around us or, or, or the forces that could bring life that we need to kind of, um, yeah. partner with. <laughs> I, can, can I, I mean, you, you spoke about, uh, we don't have, I think you said geopolitical readings of the text or, um, maybe mm. con- contextual readings, I think maybe is, is even another way of saying that. Um, and just when you, when you were talking and the thing that always makes, makes me wonder about, you know, why don't we see change? Why don't we see our role and all those questions you asked? And I think for me, as I look at kind of my church background, kind of from a, a narrow or broadly evangelical tradition, depending where you find me on that tra- trajectory, um, and it's probably true for other traditions as well, I'm just saying is that we don't have an embodied theology. And so often, our the- even though we have certainly embodied our theology in deliberate acts of, and we can talk about, you know, land dispossession and injustice and and even and possibly even some good things at, at time. No, definitely some good things at time. But we can see that it's been embodied in some in particular acts. But then when we come to understand ourselves and our identity, we we almost over-spiritualize it. And we understand it primarily as we are Christians above all. And so we we don't see that 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 our theology has a context, it has a postal code, it always exists 
somewhere um, among some people. Um, and, and, and I think we we have that, that kind of overemphasis on, a, on, on the spiritual life, whether that's internal, whether that's heaven one day, and we don't see the, the in that inbreaking kingdom, I think. And so we so then when we come to examine issues of like context and land and and and, and our neighborhoods, um, we almost don't have we we almost struggle to develop the tools. We almost struggle to mm-hmm. to even know what the praxis is because our our faith has been boxed in certain areas. And we the more I kind of go on the journey, the more I'm realizing is we need we need to be fighting, I, I think, for an embodied faith. A faith that has flesh on it. Um, you know, some we, you know, I was in youth ministry for many years and we like to talk about incarnational ministry. Um, and I know that term has come under fire from certain <laughs> sectors and stuff, but I think there's something to it. Um, you know, really like our faith has a postcode, whether we acknowledge it or not. Our faith has a place and a context. And, and, and then, of course, an impact too, because if, it, if your faith yep. lives somewhere, it has an effect on where it lives. Mm. Um, and so there, there are, there are um, ripples going out that, that ripples out simply because you exist somewhere. Whether you see and it or not. Whether you see it or not, whether you acknowledge yeah. it or not, doesn't actually yes. matter. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I heard what you were saying earlier, Caroline, is that... Yeah. There's, a, there's, an, there's an impact in us being a church in a particular place. Mm. And there's churches that are um, that that really look like churches, and so so, but but they're but they're they're locked up um, yes. and they're not available and accessible. Mm. So so the symbolic nature of a sacred space mm. in a in a neighbourhood is it is it just symbolic or is it actually place that's open you know because a lot of people speak about we don't want to lose the sacred spaces in our cities although you can call into question what is sacred and what is is not um uh, wherever a human body is it's sacred but there there, a lot of people talk about these these, we don't want to lose those places but unfortunately they're they're not inhabited and they're not it's not safe enough for them to be open Mm. um for for them to play that role and for them to be that home in the city um, and churches have to, the ones that I've spoken to where there's some good practice happening is they have to be very intentional about, about finding ways of trying to make that happen. And then to say, to follow on from what you said, John, you know, there's, so there's all of this, this, this theology and this embodied, this belief of, of, of all of these things. And yet, and then sometimes still when I would speak to a minister who believes all of these things that you've just said, things they, they, they there is a church in the city and and it's closed up every day other mm. than Sunday and except the odd ballet class or something that's happening there. But then there they are, but there are barriers to why they then some minister said to me, what we preach on a Sunday and what we believe in our hearts, we are tortured by the fact that we we are, we cannot live it out as a congregation. And so part of my research was a lot of like, well, so what are some of those barriers? And it's everything from being a church without any money or any staff. Um uh, with you know, with with huge building costs and heritage constraints and all sorts of things, to churches that um, teach love your neighbor on a Sunday and then come in, you know, the one staff member comes in on a Monday and there's a whole lot of emails from the housed neighbors around them complaining about the unhoused neighbors sure. living in the graveyard and and so who and and then they don't have the money. To, to do anything other than put up a fence and keep people out of the yeah. graveyard, for example, you know, and those are those aren't those aren't just issues that should be dismissed. They're very real issues that local congregation churches are facing. 
And so you have all the, you have this theological underpinning and, and, and then I would also say that that needs to be developed. But then you also have the, the, the practical barriers that must be understood, named, and then, and then you also have the societal barriers of, of yeah. you know, the not in my backyarders and the, and the type of thing that says we don't, you know, the church, this is not what we want our local church doing. Mm-hmm. So there's just, there's, there's a lot there. It's, and, and, and to not get, so a part of what my challenge was, was to not get bogged down by the complexity of it all, right. but to hear the stories of the lived experience of the congregation in the neighborhood. And then to, to, to offer, um, hopeful pathways through into into um praxis and 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 the, yeah but we'll get to a bit of that later because mm. that's, that's the intersection between what i believe and what i what i think i'm able to do and what i do you know and yeah. and then and how do i balance those things off mm. and say well mm. and, and 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 i'd like to hear those stories of those churches that are struggling through this kind of intersection and how they're navigating their way through it to become church to all who crosses these doors or whatever yeah. or comes yeah. through. I mean, I, I, I always remember um, watching these, these American movies with this church that's always open, you know, like the doors mm. are never closed. Like people just walk in. Yeah. Any time of the day that you wanted to. Mm. And mm. I, I've personally never, ever experienced that in, South, in Cape Town or South Africa. Yeah. Never, ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it's and it's one of those things I've always wondered why. I mean, it's only the Roman Catholic churches that are. And I'm, I went to a Roman Catholic church in Cape Town, and I didn't get that either. So yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe I don't the, think you find it in America part. either. <laughs> I don't think you find it yeah. in America either. Maybe yeah. it's just in the yeah. movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but but well, no. It actually in Italy, it's a big thing that 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 oh. churches are open. But 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 security wise, that's starting. It is starting to change. But for me, then it's it's it becomes about. So there are these real, very real barriers and then there are the perceived barriers and then there's mm. the it's the the, the prioritizing of mm. whatever so you, you if you're prioritizing having expensive worship um right. for example yes then you can't leave your church open. so one church minister said that to me he's like oh we're not a liturgical church we don't have a lot of um uh expensive worship material um uh thing and they're right on main road and they do leave the, they, they do have certain hours where they're and they don't have to have someone in the church looking looking out for things to be done. They said, and so they have these, and they have intentional times of, of where people can come in and have have solace from mm. the busyness of the world around them. And they have a very significant ministry with um, unhoused people in sure. their area um, because of that. That there is actually a little bit of porousness between them and the neighbourhood. But um, but one of the things they said was, well, yeah, because we haven't got too much that we're worried about. But losing. being taken <laughs> yeah. and and that actually and actually it's mutual so so like we live in so much fear is i'll come to this a bit later as well but this idea that actually we need to to get this this um imaginative hopeful theologically fueled thinking into the the committees of the people who run the churches mm. <laughs> so so because if if the people who run the churches and make the decisions put into those positions because they are the practical thinking people right. <laughs> or the person with the most financial and then that's the only thing they need to be balanced by a person who who is going but who do we want to be yeah. you know what do we want the space to be about what more could could happen in the space if we weren't so worried about this and you you can't just just have those those the dreamers on you've got to you've got to have yes, people yes. who can also practically make things happen. Yeah. But it's all all of that type of thing that needs to be really yeah intentionally thought through and addressed. This is far deeper than just 
asking questions of, you know, and sometimes when we talk about spatial justice, we want to talk about, uh, um, you know, th- issues of forced removals, and we want to talk about issues of, um, uh, you know, pe- people without a, a home, and we want to talk about these kind of issues. But, act- and, and those are deep issues, so I mean, I'm saying deeper. Uh, but but there's a sense that actually it goes to the core of, who, of, of how do we imagine church? Um, it's actually asking questions about who are we as a church? You know, we need to make intentional decisions. And, and that and that becomes interesting because how, how does our theology inform it that? How does our inherited tradition form that? How does yeah. our how how we perceive our role in the community? How does that inform that? And so and, and that and, and I think we've we've got to start grappling with some of those issues and saying, you know, what does it mean for us to be a church in this place in this time? And 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 almost then perhaps we've got to work back a bit. I, I hear you saying and saying, okay, so you know, what, what does that look like for the equipment we have, the programs we run, how we set ourselves up and we structure ourselves? So, I mean, as much as, and I think you're right, there are very real problems. Some of the problems are, or, or, or even the perceived problems are some of our of our own making as well. Uh, the reasons we can't do this is because we've already made yeah. prior theological and practical and value decisions about what's important mm-hmm. at times. To keep coming back to this is about justice. It's about a more just and 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 equitable city or, or world. But justice is not just for one group of people. Our liberation is tied up in each other's. And so if we worry for the future of the church, for example, which I often hear people speaking about, mm-hmm. we are the youth, blah, 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 you know, all of those things. <laughs> like I think that in God's economy, a just city that writes the the wrongs of the past and present of, of, spatial, of spatial inequality and injustice naturally will revive the church <laughs> um, if the churches are part of yeah. the project to bring that about. So, um, so one of the ministers in, in my study actually spoke, said, you know, and he was grappling with this idea of, of the future of church and, and actually, should, you know, aren't, aren't we moving more towards models where people might meet in each other's homes and that kind of thing? And, and he sort of said, is there a future for the church on the corner? And, and I was so struck by his question because, and, I, and I, I brought that into some of my reflections of all the minister's thoughts is because whether there is a future for the church on the corner or not, there are thousands of churches on the corner. Right. <laughs> there are, are thousands of church buildings yes. um, on each corner of every suburb in, in, our, in our cities to start with. So there's, there's that. So, so those buildings aren't going anywhere yet. <laughs> and, and very much yet, because I think the next 20 years we're going to see, and we already are seeing in, 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 other, in other cities in mm-hmm. South Africa, mm-hmm. a big change is around, around what, how some of those, those buildings get used. But then I think that if churches engage deeply in this question of spatial injustice and spatial justice and, and find their place in it, in the broader picture of a theology of, of land liberation in our context, um, because, because there's no one-size-fits-all model. I mean, I would love to see 500 churches in the city each putting up 10 affordable housing units right. above their church hall. I, w- I think that that, like, I'm quite practical in my thinking, like, can we not just get that project up and running now? Find the developer, find the investors and and address and and, and create. Because the, the space is like, there. Like, because the space is there. And I mean, the, yeah. the models, especially in Pretoria that you have of, sure. of um, church halls with, 27 housing units above them. The church hall is still operational, both as a community center for the people who live above it, as well as a church hall. And then an active worshiping church congregation 
that then gets revitalized by mm-hmm. the people who live in okay. the building. <laughs> you know, so, you know, if you, so, so there's, there, are, there are many, and there are many models both in South Africa and, in, I don't like the word model, but there are many stories right. in South Africa and, and internationally of where these kinds of things are happening. But so that might be my bias, but that's not the only, hmm. there are just so many ways this could work its way out. Not another 50 suburban coffee shops. <laughs> Shots fired. No, because no, I mean, sometimes I do. I think like, oh my gosh, if this kind of work around church space only lands up in in people in churches imagining another way for people to gather, yeah. and it's commercial, using a church in a, in an innovative way is definitely can be the start of a new way of seeing your church space. But it's it's not justice yet. So let let those kinds of innovations lead into more open spaces that lead into more just spaces. So that's the one thing. But in terms of this being about um, a future for the church on the corner, a future for the, the, the urban church or the suburban church, I, I think we can't see them as, as separate, um, but you've got to keep, you've got to keep God's picture of justice and reconciliation, the fullness that reconciliation is about acts of, of, of reparations that come with. Um, yeah. So I, I don't see them as ex- exclusive and, and I, I'm interested in church renewal movements, um, but my commitment is spatial justice. But I think the two can come together. Mm, that's like the hopeful. They're not, mu- they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That's not how God works. I don't think. We're talking about spatial injustice. We're talking about the church being involved in spatial justice, um, and and about righting some of these wrongs of land and forced removals in uh, in society. And I'm just wondering, Caroline. I mean, one of the big objections I can hear certain churches already making would be, is that the church's role? Is that our job? Is that something we're supposed to, isn't that what the government's supposed to be doing or business or anything? And I don't know, before we get to the stories, I don't know if you have a few thoughts on that kind of objection. You maybe want to speak to that. I mean, I I've, I don't I don't really understand the question of, is is that the church's role in general, because I do believe that um, groupings of people meeting together to study the word of God and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit will find out what their role is. Um, so there shouldn't be a gen- generic, <laughs> this is the church's role or not um, kind of thing. And if then if you look at the picture of the early church, then we can, we can maybe take more of a sense of what the church's role is. <laughs> the church's role is to, to spread to live out the good news of, of the kingdom of God in, in the neighborhood, in, the, in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. I think that that's the role of the church. And so however that looks is surely how it should be. Um, and besides which, the church doesn't worry about whether it is or isn't its role when it wants to critique <laughs> corruption or, or whatever. So, so there's, there's right. a, you know, there's, I think we're quite selective about when we say what the church's role is. I think, I think we need to find ways of unlocking the local congregation's ability to to really yeah listen to voices they haven't listened to and be led into new radical ways of of, of being church um i mean i think maybe to start with some just some stories from last year mm-hmm. so across the country there was this um re- real feeling when when we were told stay at home um there was this sort of cry from from homeless people and people in, in relationship with saying, well, where, 
you know. And so there was quite a big movement. Um, well, first of all, it was very strong in, in, in Gauteng that I think there were about 20 churches in across Gauteng that opened up their spaces and and immediately um, started offering space for people to, to shelter safely um, during the, the that lockdown. In Cape Town, it was slower, but we, we did spend a lot of time um, really trying to, to help churches grapple with, with and counting the cost of what it, it might mean for them to open their spaces. And it was it was hard for a lot of um a lot of churches in in the city because there was so much going on around um around yeah in our own political space around around where homeless people were going to be sheltered yes. and, and that kind of thing. Um, there was a lot of reflection on when things go wrong, um when when churches um, have sheltered people and and um, and things have have not gone well. Um, but there was there was yeah there was just some struggles around that. And yet there were um, several churches who did, who were who did open up their, their spaces. And what I found really interesting was um, it it re- in in every case it required a strong partnership with an NGO. So I found I found it interesting, and I've seen that with other churches that have wanted to use their, their spaces for more longer term um, alternatives to to how their buildings were being used. When an NGO that that works with um, either the the development of social housing or works with people coming in pathways out of homelessness, that's when um, the church avails the space okay. and the NGO. It kind of makes it work. Does the work. Um, yeah, yeah. So and you could you can also um, argue that that um, many NGOs that are you know faith based NGOs that is an, an expression of church. Yeah. Um, but when I speak church, I'm talking local congregations. So where I see things really really flying is when there's um, a church that says we we want to do something more with the space that we've got, but we don't have the 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 the, the best ways of work. We don't know how to do this mm-hmm. actually. So we 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 give you the space, and will you come and use it um, in ways that that would and that's that's I think that's a, a, a sort of a, a good building block for moving towards um, spatial justice. I mean, there's yeah, there's there's a lot. I don't I don't think we've yet hit on on full you know spatial justice <laughs> um, in terms of church space usage. I think that that there's more there is growing innovative ways of. Um, of churches using their space in in collaboration with people addressing social inequalities. Mm. Um, I'm yet to hear of a, a. I mean, there's land restitution projects. So yeah, um, I have a colleague called Ntando Mlambo who's who's done research with the Roman Catholic Church that has restituted church-owned land to the community people living on it. Mm. So they definitely the you know um, Grahamstown, the Anglican Church. There's so there's there's there are there are stories, and I would like to say to the listeners, um, if if as you listen, you go, no, but we know of a church that's doing, <laughs> um, you know, doing something that's very, very just and is giving um, buildings away and land back, please contact me because one of the big things we want to do is to keep, keep collecting these stories mm-hmm. to encourage each other. I think that's the, that's a biggie. Um, but yeah, so what I'm, what I'm seeing more and more of is churches um, either going into great partnerships with NGOs and using their spaces to address social inequalities, but then alternatively, I think in the in the in the suburban realm, the the, the relationship with homeless neighbours and um, and unhoused people in the area and the potential for there to be um, 
yeah, open spaces, open times, use of space to store belongings, things like that. That's that's the, that's starting to happen, and I'm excited about the potential for a lot, lot more of that. And then within that realm, there's the, the potential for sort of first phase, second phase, third phase housing for people who are coming out of, of, of homelessness and need places to live. My, one of my favorite named NGOs is in the US. Um, and so you've heard of the, the term NIMBY, which is when somebody is someone who says, I'm not in my backyard. Not backyard so right. Affordable housing, not in my backyard. Yep. Um, and then there's a movement in the US called um, uh, YIMBY, which is yes, in my backyard, they're trying <laughs> to get people. And then there's the church movement that's called now YIGBY, which is yes, in God's backyard. And they particularly <laughs> are, um, they're in Pasadena, I think, and they're, they're, they're converting uh, parking lots into affordable housing mm. in partnership with a, with a housing company because parking lots are a big, you can actually even keep your parking and build above it. But especially in suburban US, there's a, just a huge amount of parking lots and a huge homelessness issue, especially now, I mean, what we're facing post or mid-corona is, is going to be, we need to start thinking about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see this broad spectrum, you know, mm. from mm. anything about like having slots and time slots and getting to know the people who live in your, in your area mm. um, and, and having a relationship with them all the way through to using some of your space in some innovative ways to house people in your, in your church properties. Mm-hmm. And to actually giving, giving away. And giving buildings it and land, yeah, yeah. like giving it back. Yes. Um, that, that I would say would be the very exciting mm. <laughs> uh, next step. And 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 the, the, the spectrum for me, I find quite. Um, I'm in, I'm enthused by it. I mean, I'm, I'm enthused sounds like such a proper word. I'm excited by it because it's it there's there's a there's a space that every congregation can find themselves in and they essentially need to find a way am I on this continuum as opposed to saying we have to give our property away that's the only option to moving the, the dial on on spatial injustice and so there's lots of options the underlying thing is is the the, the move or the force or the motivation behind it which remains the same for all of it essentially is how do, how do we um, realize God's kingdom now? I mean, and 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 the theological motifs. I mean, you know, Micah four verse four. A lot of um, a lot of faith-based housing um, and land justice movements use this: is that every person would sit under their own fig tree mm. and their own vine, and they would not be afraid. Mm. Or the pictures of the new heaven and the new earth being mm. that people would build houses and live in them, mm. farm the land and eat from it. You know, like it's just unquestionable that that's the, the the foundation pictures of of what of what God's kingdom looks like. Yeah, I mean, just what, what you're saying there comes back to what our what I think I was saying earlier about an embodied faith is that actually the the pictures that we see of the kingdom, the 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 how the Old Testament and the New Testament describes the kingdom, it's very embodied. It's it's very practical. It's not just um, values change or ethics and all of these things, of course, are important or salvation. It's actually, it's actually people having houses, people having food, people are having dignity and, and, and people selling land so that people and houses so exactly, that people exactly not yeah, in yeah. need. And, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, that, that, well, that we can say actually happens. I think if, if we, we look mm-hmm. at that, but, but, and I think sometimes, and it certainly happened in my life, I think is I would look at that picture language and it would be like, yeah, it's just a nice, picture but i think mm. it's actually realizing Dream. that actually that, that god or the prophet or whoever could have chosen any picture 
they could have just said it. They could have just said, listen, when the kingdom comes, it's going to be nice. Uh, there's going to be no justice. But what is the picture they paint? And they, it's a very real picture that it was as real to the needs and the experience of those days as is those pictures are painted um, for us today. And and I think that opens up for us a bit, even that 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 project of dreaming, that prophetic imagination that Brueggemann talks about of going, well, if Isaiah, for instance, is writing that picture of the new creation today that he wanted to describe it in to, to people today and saying, what would that look like? As we think about our communities, mm. we think about our churches, what, what language would he use? What, who yeah, would he include? But the, prophets were, the prophets were social and, and, and analysts. Yep. <laughs> they, they wouldn't ever have uh, written anything else because they were analyzing the signs of the times <laughs> and then writing with God a picture for it. And so, exactly. and so if, if, you know, so now as we sit in South Africa, mid COVID and, and facing the, the, I mean, can we just say facing this tiny minority of people that have the majority of everything yeah. and then the majority of the country going to bed hungry. Yeah. And then the kind of fear people are living with when they, when they fear those who have nothing left to fear yeah. and that, that being what we're living with as a country at the exactly. moment, what is the prophetic, what is the social analysis there? Exactly. It is to say, we have to, the church has got to start um, making tangible, a tangible and, and, and stand up and be counted as a, 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 a practical and tangible difference to, to the, if it's not too late, we must do it. Yeah. But, but what's holding us back though? What is, what is, what is pulling us and anchoring us to where we are? Um, is, it, is it simply just a simple fear of, what, of losing it all or is, is there something more to it? I don't think that we 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 have a I don't think we have a, a collaborative community communal sense of what collectively the faith communities of our country could actually do to make a difference. But in order to start contributing to that, you have to take brave steps as a local congregation, and then you've got to dig into some of those hindering factors, mm. whether it's your the, you're theologically hindered or you're not, but you're practically hindered. You've got to, you've actually, we've really got to start helping each other name, name. Yeah, and, 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 it's, and I mean, sometimes, I mean, for me in my own church journey, it was joining the buildings committee. I didn't want to join the buildings committee. <laughs> I'm, I want to talk about prophetic imagination, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, or, or, or have dinners with, you know, the, the ladies from the main road. I, that, that's what I wanted. I don't want right. to join the buildings committee, but, but I, I realized that, that, that in, in the people who were very faithfully caring for the buildings mm. that my church owned, they hadn't encountered this kind of theological thinking before or there wasn't a sense of, of what could be done. And so I rallied, rallied a few people and we, we, we joined. And we, we in that season, we really started a conversation that actually everybody got incredibly excited about. Sure. And that did lead to a, a quite comprehensive rethinking of use of space by the church. And and another thing is, I think I meet a lot of people in the activist space who who are still going to ch who are still church members, right. but they're not living able to live out their activism in the church because because the church is is sort of well they just haven't nobody's making the connection. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I know I said earlier I kind of want to come back to this theology thing because I think what we've done <laughs> in the past and 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 I, and I hear what you're saying and I think it just. Certainly, I just see it adds to so much inactivity because we've made certain values and then we've embodied it in theology. And we said, that's what orthodoxy looks like. This is the role of the church. This is the mission of the churches. 
This is what it means to be faithful. And so then we have, and, and certainly I think in some ways, this is my experience. We had good people who really had good intentions and wanted to do something, but we felt like we were not able to. And we were felt, we feel like sometimes that we are stepping outside the role of the church. We're stepping outside of good theology. I mean, you've already mentioned that big, you know, scary word, liberation theology uh, and liberation, and even that kind of language uh, we've created. Mm. And, that's, and that's always painted as a bad thing. That's always create, painted as something mm. that is outside of orthodoxy. And so I think what's mm. happened is maybe in the past, I mean, and it's perpetuated in the future, we've created systems that have kept us um, kind of Im- enmeshed in that privilege very often because you intimated earlier, like our city was designed a certain way and our theology was part of that designing and it was used to justify it. And now, but now the problem is we we want to make changes, I think sometimes, but we haven't gone back and seen and kind of even dismantled some of this theology that is keeping us enmeshed. And our theology that comes along with how we, Yep. How we discern the voice of God as well. Exactly, so, yeah. so I often do hear congregations speaking about that God said we must, or this is, or, you know, um, this is what God has. This is the journey that God has yeah. led us on and provided for. And 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 I don't mean it's a holy thing to believe that we can hear God's voice together. <laughs> you mm. know, we struggle enough to hear on our own or just between right. two friends or a married couple. But to to imagine that four hundred people could hear the voice of God to decide as to what, whether to build a church or not, whether to um, sell a church or whether yeah. to, you know, all of, all of those things. Yeah. And so, so we, there, there's also a, a huge amount of, 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 of faith and trust that we need to grow in our ability to hear God together and, but to bring social analysis in to pray into praying and to hearing God, because we don't hear directly from God. If we're in a room with a group of people who have access to enough money to raise yeah. for their building project. Yeah. We, 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 if, if, if that's who we listen to God, alone with. And I'm not suggesting that any or every church who has ever gone in this is that, but 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 then do know, or even if you're in a room with a diverse group of people, do how is everybody empowered in that space to speak up and say, yep. it may or may not be God, but I don't know if we should do this or I think we should do that. And those are very, very they're very practical but also very holy processes. And and um mm, yeah like we that. yeah we need greater capacity to to do those things together because I think those those things often directly impact on a church's mm. perpetuation of spatial injustice or or joining mm. joining hands towards spatial justice. And again, I think we need to listen way more to people who aren't labeled who aren't labeled Christians. I think we need to listen to the prophets of the city <laughs> that are out there um, but may not be in churches or using God or biblical language. Right. And to put ourselves as as learners at their feet. Um, and also to 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 be very careful to know who who in our congregations, what stories are held there, and how are we listening to them. I'm interested as I'm as I'm listening to you talk, Caroline. It's it's becoming clearer and clearer to me how fundamental, faith wise, this kind of esoteric thing for me about spatial injustice could be. I mean, it's like it's it, it, if you boil it down to its to its bare essence, it's as important as. Um, anything else in my faith journey would be. Because, I mean, some of the objections, I mean, I've been thinking before we started, I was thinking about, so what are the objections? I mean, oh, there's so many big problems in the world and there's poverty and there's unemployment and there's racism and there's corruption and there's orphans and vulnerable children and there's guys in prison, of course. Um, mm. I, just, I just got all the big labels mm. that we normally use mm. from, from a Christian yeah. point of view. Right. Um, why, 
why would this be an issue? But as I'm thinking, as we're talking, I'm thinking more and more, thinking, geez, I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. How did they all come about? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did inequality and poverty and guys in prison yeah. all come about? Mm. Um, directly related to to land dispossession and and um, and violent. Mm. Um, violent removal and exclusion from that continues to this day. Mm. So again, to not speak about it just historically and therefore it's, you know, because otherwise then you get caught up in, but it wasn't us, can't we move on, all of that kind of yeah. thing. It's just yeah. like name it for now. It's happening now. Yeah. Um well, and, and, and therefore, yeah, and therefore it's it's a it's a hundred percent part of us being mature Christians growing up in Christ learning more about our faith, living in repentant mm. cycles of repentance um, and just not, be, not being, um, I, I just, I, I fear that we worry too much about the, I mean, that we make the church and we make ourselves sound so, so fragile to, to breaking. We are. <laughs> but actually, like if we were just weighed in and just, and, and, and go for it, we'd find ourselves stronger at the other end. And, and so I actually, yeah, the, the, the use of the word liberation is, 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 is not about one theology or another. It's it's like, how can we be like? I mean, the the, the repentance passage in 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 Acts where where you know, Peter preaches to the people says, "You killed, you know, you killed the Messiah, but in ignorance, in ignorance. Yeah. but now repent and turn, and you will know times of refreshing." Mm, and good. it's like, yeah, okay, so maybe even now, as I was born, like, there's ignorance for so long, and then there's no. This is and you know how, how and why was Jesus executed what was you know a political event that happened because people were all over the place in terms of their allegiances mm. and they chose a person who had had been involved in an insurrection instead of instead of Jesus mm. and so that was their ignorance they were looking for a political leader and they chose one and, and then we're like, hey, but now repent. Like who are we looking to for our salvation? And I can hear as you as you're talking that hope that keeps pulling you along, you know, that mm. kind of um, heartfelt hope um, without being mushy. I'm not talking about that. I'm just like that, yeah, uh, yeah. that kind of strong hope that keeps you keeps you going. What What is your dream or your vision or your prayer, depending on what, what word <laughs> you want to use, um, yeah. or the church in this space? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's personally I would like to spend the next sort of decade or, or two working on like – organizing. <laughs> so, so making sure that any church that wants to go on this journey knows that there's people they can speak to that can okay. help with these kinds of discernment processes. You know, that's the work that the warehouse does, but we're a small team. So I want to grow the ability for churches to know they're not alone in this and to be introduced to these, to these stories of others doing it. Um, so my dream is that, that, I mean, on one very practical level, I do believe we need to provide beautiful, well-built, justly built homes for people in the suburban and inner city belts of our of our city. I need we need to absolutely, absolutely. break the special apartheid planning in the next 20 years, in the next five years, 20 years ago, and over the <laughs> um, but, but but I mean that if we if we don't if we go another 10 years and we don't see hundreds of thousands more people living more densely in our very unsustainably sprawling city yeah. but living more more i mean density densification is not is is a is an urban goal it's not it's yeah. not a, a you know but but the suburban spaces want to keep 
big areas and open areas. And yeah. no, we need to densify the areas and bring more life, bring more, yeah, bring more access. We need to, yeah, I want to see suburbs having schools that are affordable and, and shops that are affordable and churches at the heart of them mm. that are like making that happen and taking brave steps towards, yeah, opening up home and land to live on, home, <laughs> home for people in the city. Um, it's it's got to be that. And my, so my dream is that we would we would just start gathering more and more professionals. There are so many people who are passionate about this. Mm. We're just trying to find each other and and yeah. um, and build it. Um, but number one, that there would be no church out there that that has a feeling like they would like to take steps and then they, and they don't know how. Um, that that keeps me awake at night, <laughs> worrying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 let's be honest, we don't know how, but we need to work it out together. And one of the big things is we need to identify the things that are, are barriers to, to, to doing this. And sometimes it's just a few people in decision-making positions that are blocking things, you know, and, and you need to bring more people around them and help yeah. help change come. So what did you say earlier? Yes in, yes in God's backyard, eh? What did you say earlier? Yigby, yeah. Yes, yes in God's backyard. Yes in God's backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, and, that we, and I think there would be property developers who would be very interested if, mm-hmm. if, if churches started to say, I'm signing up. Yeah. Um, they are they are developers with a conscience, and yeah. I think yeah. you could you could bring the two together. Well, but I mean, there are Christians in every every walk of life, I think, and there are um, Christians that are involved in every aspect of society, mm. and uh, whether we're talking economists, town planners, developers, uh, education, whatever. And but I think for me, part of the problem is we need to. We, we have to stop this narrow gospel. So what we do is we get the town planner or the educator who could have a massive impact out in society and we pull them into some ministry in the church. Like, And sometimes it's really innocuous, like serving tea or handing out um, leaflets or, you know, and, and not that those aren't things that need to happen, um, although maybe less handing out leaflets and killing trees. But but. Um, but we, we kind of pull them into that and they th- that's their Christian duty instead of which and which I, I think we we have to start putting this putting this vision out more and more of this big beautiful gospel of God just redeeming all things and saying how do you take these skills how do you take these expertise into the world and you start saying how do I do town planning uh with the kingdom values uh and you know what just probably find there's a couple of other kingdom of town planners around let's pull them together let's start reimagining town planning or education or whatever with kingdom values and, and you know people always say but what what about but the church's role is evangelism and these kinds of things yeah. if you start living like that and people are going to start That's saying evangelize well people are going to start saying what is with you people we are doing town planning to make profits. You're saying the bottom line is no longer the bottom line. We want inclusive housing. We want to care for people. Uh, yes, we must be sustainable as well. You, you're going to start, people are going to start asking all kinds of questions, not always nice questions. You're going to, like, Alfonso, you're, we're going to do evangelism because you're going to have to say, well, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Um, and I just love, I love that image. And I, I think there's a sense that we need to be flinging open the church doors, not only to invite people in, Alfonso, to your uh, midnight services or whatever you want to hold in these U.S. churches, but but actually letting people out and saying, go into the world, go be, use your skills, use your talents to love your neighbor um, in the holistic aspect of that. And, and, and just when you're speaking, I was just getting that vision all over again. And I, I, I love that you're saying, um, 
So thank you. Hey, I, I want to bring something a bit more sober in as well. Is also to not forget. I mean, gosh, I mean, I feel arrogant saying this, but we're in an we're in an intense struggle. Mm. We're in a a struggle for life and death at the moment. Yes. We're in we're in a violent, violent world and city. Um, and even before we start thinking about all these beautiful projects, I also just long to see faith actors, churches, ministers. Christians from pews standing in the gap when people are being evicted, yes. when people are being are facing are facing like we're 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 naming people as illegal, um, people leave when when our city is putting out messaging about illegal occupiers in whether it's in buildings or on um, floodplains when exactly. when floodplains are 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 flooded and people are living up to the knee in sewage. And and the message that goes out from the city is that it's all the places that were occupied during illegally occupied during yeah. COVID. Um, I long to see churches stand up and say, absolutely not. These are our brothers and our sisters and our siblings and our fellow human beings, right. our fellow citizens, and this is not okay. You know, there are just I just yeah, they we we it we're we we can't we are living with too much violence at the moment in our city in terms of against the, the poor the poorest and the most suffering um and we can't have just been through the last 18 months yeah. and, the, and the winter that we just had and 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 not at least start there and the only way to know where to put your body in those moments is 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 when you start learning from the people who are leading for for hope and justice in those places and for us to start to interrogate notions of of um of legality and mm -hmm. and and what what it means to be legal or not legal as a human being Sure. in our in our world so that's a maybe not quite as a well it's a for me it's also hopeful that i imagine mm. christians pitching up in numbers yep. whether it's phoning on the telephone phoning all day until they get an answer from the city or whether yep. it's arriving at um at a protest of sorts or, or yeah how and in what capacity can ordinary christians or churches or denominations get in touch with you to chat or discuss Debate, argue with you maybe um, about these issues or contribute to these issues, and and in which capacity are you able to um, to assist them or to walk alongside them in this in this um, conversation? Can I just add to that? Is, yes, is you mentioned mm -hmm. you mentioned um, organisations and pitching up and just standing in the gap. I don't know if you just want to say a little more. You gave a couple of examples, but I don't know if there's and you said by listening to people who are involved. I don't know if. Why are you talking about that? If you just also um, want to mention maybe if there's particular organizations or particular ways that we can find out um, how mm. to how to how to do some of those things you're talking about. Yeah. So so just into I mean in terms of the other um, uh, organizations, there's you know throughout 2020, one of the best things to come out of 2020 was a much stronger coalition of of people of of homeless individuals leading pathways out of homelessness and working with NGOs and so they've just formed the homeless action coalition so i would say that that's if you're especially if you're a church in an area where people live on the streets around your church you want to be learning from that body of people which is now for the first time in cape town's history being led equally by yeah. either previously or currently homeless individuals yes. and the NGOs in the yeah. sector so that's the homeless action coalition mm -hmm. i would say you want to 
connect there. Um, then, I mean, I do a lot of learning from so urban lands, right, movements like Abakhlalibasimitolo. Um, so you want to get onto people's Facebook groups <laughs> because they put out lots of events, lots of um, webinars to attend and lots of really good articles. So to start changing your neural pathway is about how you read about legal or illegal inverted commas people. So Abakhlali would be one. The Social Justice Coalition is great. Um, Defuna Kwasi and Reclaim the City put out a lot of really helpful stuff. Um, very good public engagement, really easy to read um, mm-hmm. information. And um, and the Development Action Group. I love, I love what they there and and, and they and all of these organizations have different approaches so right. they don't always all agree with each other it's not it's not that and and I, and I know that I would get onto the the city's um media email list so that you get the emails that come out of the city because the city sends out updates as to how they're doing on the affordable housing thing so you hear it both from both the city side and from the, the, the those who are sort of agitating to the yeah. city to do more. Right. So just get get those kinds of that kind of information into your yeah, your your as so that you, you know, as a citizen, you know what's happening. And also the city has lots of public participation processes. So find out when those are coming around. There were a few this year specifically around spatial um planning of the city. And then well yeah for me, I mean I I love getting a call saying we're a church and we're we're trying to think about these things. And you know, I just talk it through um, and then sometimes it's referring them on to somebody who immediately I know could help more or whatever but I'm, I'm happy to be I mean not more than, I'm more than happy would love to be a point person for a church on a journey or a person on a journey my my particular focus is churches and church congregations and um, for people I'm and uh, um, individuals I'm often keen to know if they belong to a church do they have any way of influencing other people in their church so that they could do something together or helping their church work with another church or another NGO or another entity in their area? But there, you know, Common Ground Board had a wonderful series on, on land justice a few years ago where they get they, they specifically focused on individual, um, so highly resourced property-owning individual Christians and what they had done to address land injustice with their own their own resources. So mm-hmm. I think that's the that's an excellent resource. Um, and then yeah, a lot of the time it's it's just go on your own personal journey, but but like also influence your church with it. Or if you're leading a church, speak to individual people about what they can do. And yeah, I think it's a head, it's hearts good. and hands thing. Allow the the repentance to keep on flowing, inform yourself and then ask what you have and and how how you can um share or give it away. Great. Thank you for not only the time, um, but I can also see the kind of thinking and intentionality you yeah. brought to the time we spent together. Um, but thank you for coming on to Yellow Mentor it's, um, and coming to share with us your passion and your knowledge on, on this topic. Not only this topic, but about faith and yeah. uh, theology and like it's all intertwined. And I found this, I found this very interesting and enlightening. I mean, yeah, me too. <laughs> it's always in conversation. We're, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're, we're um, yeah, we spark each other off. So I really yeah. enjoyed being with both right. of you. I'm, I'm sure there are many people listening to this and um, we will share the recording with you and you can post it on the Warehouse's website, et cetera, et cetera, as well. But I've been not only fascinated by the history I mean, I started off in 1913. I probably started before yeah. that, really. Right. Um, but also the currency of it. I mean, like how 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 practical and how day to day it is right now. Talking about spatial injustice, mm. I've been I found this fascinating, and I'd like to invite you again someday to come and talk about this 
some more page uh, page two of this right. of this book. Um, <laughs> if you're busy, if you're busy. Right? This is already page two. <laughs> oh, this is page two. Sorry, page three is the one coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm sure there are lots of people that would want to get in touch with you. So just as a reminder to everyone listening, um, you can get hold of Caroline. She didn't give her email address, but I will give it. It's Caroline at warehouse.org.za. Um, and you can mail her there and and um she 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 will she will help you if you can or point you off in the in, in another direction if she if she if she needs to. Just to say all the, the links and the organizations that Caroline has mentioned will be in the show notes. We'll include as much of that okay. in the show notes as possible where you can contact them and have a look at that. Yeah. Wonderful. And also I did that PowerPoint with quite a lot of stories. The PowerPoint that I sent you with yes. the with my, my speaking to that that could answer your question more and more of, of stories and models of where this has happened. Yeah, in, with through churches and other places. So if people are interested in following those stories, there, there's a yeah, like a one-hour presentation on that with photographs. But thank you very much, Caroline. It's, yeah. it's really been fun having you here. Um, um, I've given you email address, and um, I'd like to tell everyone else just to remember to follow Yellow Mensa on Twitter um, or Esteban Bano on Facebook. Um, get involved in the discussion. There are lots of discussions to get involved in. Give us your comments and your feedback. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, let us know. Um, And if you found this helpful, share, like, and comment, and then other people can find us as well. Remember that the audio produced by um, Exilic Music, you can find them on www.exilic.co.za. I'm Alfonso Balkas, signing out. And I'm John saying we got work to do. 